Gade Miller Fulton, welcome to the Letter from Ireland show. You're listening to Series 1, Episode 5. Folter. Welcome to the Letter from Ireland show. I'm Karina. And I'm Mike. And I'd like to start by saying how delighted that we are that you took the time to tune in to listen to us today. We have a very interesting show and it's all about bringing your Irish ancestry to life. Now, Mike, what are the two letters that we're going to work with today? Well, it's um, it's a kind of an interesting subject, Karina, because it's one of those subjects you really can't avoid when you talk about Ireland. And it's the today's letters, both letters are actually on the theme of religion. Oh, yes. A hot topic here. Well, it is. And I suppose, you know, it's it's always been uh, somewhat of a hot topic. But certainly down through the centuries, down through the years, it's been one of those things that actually very much dictated which side of the fence you're on in Ireland. So, you know, we said we kind of tackle this head on today. But of course, the best way to tackle any thorny subject like religion would be true stories, I guess. And yeah. letters, very good. Absolutely. So, yeah. So, Mike, um, would you like to start then and tell us a little bit about what's happening today in the letter? Yeah, well, there's two letters uh, today, basically. And as I said, they're actually on the theme of religion. But as you probably know, religion in Ireland is kind of an interesting one because certainly 85% plus uh, of the population in the past and really right down to the present would be Roman Catholic uh, for quite some number of centuries now. Mm. And, um, you know, there are, of course, a number of other minority religions, and we're going to actually look at two of those minority religions today. And I think two very interesting stories and two very interesting perspectives on Irish history, because we're actually going to do just that. Okay, so here we go. And the title of the first letter this morning is Religion in Ireland, a Methodical Approach. Cade me the and welcome to your letter from Ireland on a lovely sunny Sunday morning here in County Cork. The weather's taken a turn for the better, and the north winds have turned around. We might even get out for a last sea swim of the year today. Now, folks, just to point out that this letter was written at a time when perhaps the sea was actually a little bit warmer at that time of year, back last August. So, um, Although, you know, it might be a bit cold to actually go swimming in the sea just today, in fact, this being Christmas, there's actually a lot of uh, people donning their Santa hats, running into the water come Christmas Day and running straight back out again. Wouldn't that be crazy? For charity, <laughs> Mike. Yeah. So you'll be one of them, will you? Yes, if I'm promised a hot toddy at the end. And now, folks, I can tell you categorically that that is an outright lie. <laughs> there is no way in high heaven this lady is going to actually enter into the seawater this time of year. Okay, so back we go. So how's the weather where you are? Is it worth remarking on? I'm having a nice cup of lion's tea this morning as I write, and I do hope you'll have a cup of whatever you fancy as you join us for today's letter. Have you ever started something and found yourself ending up somewhere completely different to where you planned? I find this is often a feature of the Irish conversational style, a creative meandering that often delights both audience and speaker, as a tale takes an unexpected turn or two. Have you noticed this? You know, just this morning, for example, I sat down to write about the 13 pubs of Baldy Hub. As I pulled out my notes and started to write, I noticed something that took me on a completely different route to the one planned. 
so the wonderful tales of Ballyhoven has 13 pubs, we'll have to wait for another day. Actually, Karina, just before we go on there, I think it's kind of interesting. Um, you know, in Ireland, we have so many place names with Bally That's at true, the beginning. Yes. Yeah. And people are always asking about this because, you know, it sounds kind of, I suppose, confusing in a way and sounds very Irish at the same time. And, you know, if you take the actual word Ballyty Hub, which is, just sounds pretty interesting in the first place in English, and it's spelled B-A-L-L-Y-D-E-H-O-B, it's kind of interesting just to dig a little bit back into the Irish there and to realise where that came from because the actual Baldihob in Irish would be Bailachachab, which would be Bail, which would be mouth, Aha, which would be ford, and Dachab then would be of the two cobs, so whatever the river might be called, the cob, you know. And if you kind of say that very fast, so you're talking really about the, um, the ford at the mouth of the two cobs, as being the literal description of that place that has become Baldihob, you have Bail a Dachab, but say it faster, Baldihob, Baldihob, Baldihob. And suddenly somebody listens to that with an English ear and it becomes Baldihob. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't make sense at all, if you like, it's just a phonetic sound. And of course, we also have Bally, if you like, at the end of a number of other places, which means, as you as you know well yourself, Balia which is typically town or home, B-A-L-I-E. So we tend to actually have the, the, the word Bally at the beginning of so many place names in Ireland because it's either at the mouth of often a ford or in fact it's an actual uh, town or homeland in the first place. So, yeah, there you go, Baldy Hob, that's just one of them. And I think that's kind of interesting for a lot of the people that be listening in here today because the surnames kind of took a similar developmental route, if you like, as well in that somebody with an English ear heard an Irish name and just decided, okay, it sounds like this thing, so let's just call it that. Okay, so that's Bally de Hob. And uh, I hope I haven't gone off on too much of an actual uh, expedition on that one, but I did warn you, we could be a little bit meandering here on these particular letters. So we'll meander back onto the main route again just now, Green. all right? Great, let's, yeah. let's hear it somewhere. Okay, so instead we're going to chat, and maybe for the first time, about religion in Ireland, at least one particular aspect. Religion and Ireland, where do you start? There's a saying in Ireland, never talk about religion or politics in the pub, it'll only end in a fight. Now, religion in Ireland has come to signify a lot more than a person's spiritual beliefs or church-going habits. Over the centuries, religion was the place where you made your stand, a place that stood for your culture, traditions and history. It also became a badge that locked you in or out of opportunity, advancement and wealth. By 1911, we had four primary religions in Ireland, the largest of course being Roman Catholicism for about 85% of the population. And then I suppose the next three main religions were the three main Protestant religions of the Church of Ireland or the established church, Presbyterianism and Methodism. I don't know about you, but Talking about religion never works for me unless we bring it down to human level, the level of the story and the individual. So let's do just that. As part of my research into the 13 pubs of Baldihob, and bear with me here, I examined the 1911 census for the Baldihob area in County Cork, as my own father's family was born and reared in those parts. I was drawn in by the religions noted on the register, 
The majority were Roman Catholic, as you might expect. Next were Church of Ireland, most, and as most Presbyterians were up in Ulster, there weren't really any in those parts, and next were the Methodists. And it's that last group we're going to concentrate on for the remainder of this letter. The Methodists in Ireland. Maybe you're already familiar with Methodism. The Methodism, excuse me, the Methodists, I'm going to have to be very careful with these titles all the time, because it's very hard to say them. Mm-hmm. Methodist, Methodist. So the Methodists came out of the Church of England in the early 18th century, led by a one John Wesley. Now the focus of Methodism is to help the poor and average person. Building relationships and social services is in fact at the heart of all that they do. Their methodical observance of the rules of the Book of Common Prayer regarding works of charity earned them the derogatory nickname of Methodists, which they decided to keep. Now that sounds fairly Irish to me. The Methodists arrived in Ireland about 1747 and received most of their support and converts from the junior members of the British Army garrisons spread throughout the country. So most of the Methodist converts came from Protestant stock and a smaller number from Roman Catholic. If you converted in those days, you really crossed the Great Divide, and mixed marriages were not condoned by society or the established churches. Actually, just saying that, Karina, one thing that's kind of surprised me, and I know we look at mixed marriages as being something relatively recent, but it's been surprising to me just how many of our, let's say in the green room, how many of our actual uh, features we've done, Irish homelands and so on. In fact, how many mixed ma- marriages there might have been, let's say in the 19th century and so on. Oh, that's true. It's actually, it yeah. reminds me too of how people said that maybe their families had had to move or move country because of that. Yeah. That they could not live here maybe where they had been married in Ireland as mixed marriages. So they moved maybe then. And that was one of the reasons for emigrating. That's, that's exactly it, yeah. Very interesting to see, though, because, you know, you just wouldn't expect it. So, looking at the Methodist surnames in Baldihob in 1911, you can see this mix coming through in the mostly English surnames and the smaller number of Irish Gaelic surnames. Names such as Coy, Daly, Evans, Jennings, Johnson, Kingston, McDermott, Roycroft, Swanton, Willis, Wolfe, Woodhouse and Young. Oh, I think I see now, Mike, where you're going to go with this letter when I see the surname Wolf popping up there. There you go. One special man. Now, Peter Wolf was one member of the Methodist Church whom I knew. He was also Karina's uncle. Peter married Karina's aunt in one of Ireland's first condoned mixed marriages, and that was the 1970s. I remember Peter as a busy man, but with all the time in the world for the people around him. He ran a large business and had a young, energetic family. Yet, if you needed help or assistance, he gave you his full attention and enthusiastic support. He was a living embodiment of the stated intent of Methodism. Peter died at the young age of 71 at the beginning of last year. In all the time I've known Peter, I don't think I've ever heard him talk about religion. He just did it. He somehow married the best part of his beliefs to much of what he considered important pardon me, what what we consider important in Irish tradition. Be there for your friends, your family and your community. Be accountable and let your actions speak for themselves. I realise that when I look up those textbook explanations of the different religions, I really don't get it. The descriptions rarely make sense to me. However, when I look at the attitude and actions of people like Peter Wolfe, I really do get it. The explanation is there for all to see. It's about using whatever religion you choose 
to let the best of your humanity shine through to others. So that's it for today in this letter, and to finish with that famous Irish blessing for Peter and his family, and for you and all the special people in your life. May the road rise to meet you, may the wind be always at your back, may the sun shine warm upon your face, the rains fall soft upon your fields, and until we meet again, may God hold you in the palm of his hand. That's it for this week. Slam for now, Mike and Karina. Mike, that really brings to mind Peter for me and my first uh, connection, I suppose, with the Methodist community. When I stayed with them when I was a young girl, um, they lived quite close to the Methodist church in Cork. And I remember going into that first services of the Methodist services because I attended both the Roman Catholic and the Methodist service. I went with Peter and his family. And I was really struck by the small community and also at that time by a very aging community. Because really in Ireland, um, even though religion itself is um, waning, I think it's particularly felt within the small Methodist communities in that there really aren't that many in their churches anymore. Yeah. And, you know, as well as that, it's it's kind of striking as you go around the countryside in Ireland, just how many abandoned uh, Church of Ireland uh, churches there are as well, you know. Yeah, and other small uh, communities, really, yeah. that are beginning to, to to be unable to support their churches anymore. It's as simple as that, really, isn't yeah. it? And, of yeah. course, you know, there's a lot of history there because all of the community was forced at one stage to support, you know, all the, uh, uh, let's say, Protestant churches. But, of course, that dipped away in the late 1800s and that was really kind of the downfall for a lot of churches at that point in Ireland. And I guess that's going to lead us into the second letter, which... Um, the Methodists, in fact, get a mention in this particular one as well when we actually refer to one of the comments and questions from one of our listeners. And um, I know we're going to hand over to you, Karina, to read this particular letter. The letter I'm about to read starts in County Cork, goes on to speak about the Quakers, the famine and the founding of the state of Pennsylvania. So here goes. Cade Mila Folta, and welcome to your letter from Ireland for this week. Well, the rain is coming down vertically as I write. Now that's a change as the rain is usually horizontal in these parts. We were promised an Indian summer, but I guess they did not specify the year. How's the weather in your part of the world today? Anyway, it's a good morning to write a letter and have an extra cup of tea together. I'm on the Barrys. How about you? I looked up the letters from this time last year to see if the sun actually shone any time in the past, and I came across this letter. Religion in Ireland, a methodical approach and a special man. Well, of course, that's the letter that Mike has just read. But anyway, it got me thinking a little bit about religion in Ireland. What religion were your Irish ancestors? One of our listeners, Noni Morrison, was on sharing the story of one of her Mahony ancestors. She writes... I don't think I mentioned my husband's line of Mahonies when I first joined. They left from Dublin around 1800. The next place I remember that they were was in Tennessee, working in the lumber industry. Within a few generations, they became Quakers and intermarrying with other Quaker families from Ireland. She continues, I'm wondering if perhaps being Quakers had something to do with the emigrant Mahony. This was in the time that the Quaker religion was very strong here in America, but within another generation or so, they mostly became Methodists, 
following the rise and fall of interest in religion across America's frontiers. Anything more you can tell me about this would be of great interest. I'm smiling there, Karina, as you say, the uh, surname Mahoney. Because, of course, most of our people in North America would say, oh, Mahoney or Mahoney. Oh, of course. M-A-H-O-N-E-Y, for example. Or Thank you for clarifying that. No, Mike. it's it's great. Yeah. Gra- I think that's the thing, because how would you say it in Cork? Manny. Yeah, Manny. <laughs> I mean, it's a real, very particular Cork way of saying it, where we kind of say almost like M-A-A-A-A-N-Y, Manny. Um, but yeah, that's so, hence the uh, the proper way is perhaps Manny, but of course the real proper way is just the original Irish. And now back to our letter. The first thing I can say, Noni, is that your Mahoney, O'Mahony ancestor may have left from Dublin but at one stage they were certainly living in County Cork, where Omani is one of the major surnames hereabouts. Across the other side of County Cork, on the east side, you'll also find an area associated with this religious movement, known as the Religious Society of Friends, but they're mostly known to us today as the Quakers. How about the rest of our readers? Do any of your ancestors have ties to the Quakers? While your ancestors may not have been associated with the Quakers, I know that many of them left Ireland in the aftermath of the Great Famine of the 1840s. The authorities of the day dithered in their reaction to the crop failures and starvation, first denying but then insisting that starving and weakened people take part in labour projects to earn their food all decisions with catastrophic consequences for the starving population. The Quakers of East Cork and West Waterford, however, had a more pragmatic approach. They felt that a starving person needed food, and quickly at that. So they set up a number of soup stations, keeping whole families alive. They hadn't any agenda, they had no expectations in return, They were merely doing what they felt was their moral duty to help another fellow human in distress. As a result, there are many commemorative plaques recalling the support of the Society of Friends in this part of the country. Now, the Religious Society of Friends, later known as the Quakers, as I've mentioned, were founded in England about 1647, and they established a power base in the north of that country. They arrived over to the north of Ireland about 1654, some seven years later, and they spread to various parts of Ireland, often attracting disaffected English soldiers and their families who inhabited the various barracks across the land. One Quaker you may be familiar with. So now we travel back to County Cork. If you go to the small village of Shanagari in East Cork today, you will find the ruins of Shanagari Castle. A certain young gentleman by the name of William Penn was schooled in this house by a Quaker tutor called John Lowe. He was 15 at the time and Lowe apparently left a large impression on this man who went on to found the colony of Pennsylvania. When his father, Admiral William Penn, later became ill, Young William Penn returned to Ireland to manage the family estate. While there, he started to attend the Quaker meetings and he finally joined the Quakers in Cork at the age of 22. 
His family were furious at this decision and he was disinherited of land and title. However, over the next couple of years, Penn's father had a change of heart. He witnessed his son's moral stand and resoluteness through his missionary work, as well as a series of arrests and imprisonments. So while close to death, William Penn Sr. managed to get the Crown to agree to protect young William in return for his own dedicated service down through the decades. In the late 1670s, William Penn Jr. proposed a mass emigration of Quakers from England to a Quaker region in the colonies of North America. The Quakers, under the leadership of Penn, purchased and were granted about 45,000 square miles of land in the colony of West Jersey. The region was renamed first as New Wales, but then it was changed by King Charles II to the name we know it today, Pennsylvania, in honour of William Penn Sr. And so began Penn's holy experiment in the new province of Pennsylvania. Penn went about selling the new colony to prospective settlers and he attracted many people of persecuted minorities across the countries of Europe, Mennonites, Catholics, Huguenots, Jews and Lutherans and he aimed to set up an ethical society that was built on a solid legal framework. I won't write much more on the history of this new province as I'm sure there are many readers here who could do a better job. But let's go back to Noni Mahoney's ancestor from the top of this letter. When her ancestor arrived in the US around the 1800s, he may have been without family and kin, but he was also without the societal pressures of home for the first time in his life. As he moved to the frontier territory, the message of the Quakers, with their emphasis on self-determination, religious tolerance and non-hierarchy, that must have held an attraction to so many of these frontier men. My guess is that he converted to Quakerism sometime after his arrival in the US, and as Noni suggests, many of these early Quakers then changed to Methodism over time, a religion that offered a very similar philosophy to that of William Penn and his fellow colonists. Eventually, it seemed that Methodism had won out over time. There are over 7 million Methodists in the USA today against just 150,000 Quakers. However, the good deeds of the members of the Religious Society of Friends during the famine are still remembered across Ireland on the commemorative plaques that dot the land. Well, that's it for now, and we hope you have a great week. Slán, Mike and Karina. Isn't that an amazing connection, Karina, really, that uh, certainly I suppose the two of us didn't know about until quite recently. Had no idea that there was such a link between Pennsylvania and that little town, East Cork, Shanagari. Little town indeed, uh, uh, as the phrase goes, a one-horse town. A one-horse town, a one-street village. Yes. Yeah, and you know, I mean, when we went down there, by the way, folks, we have a picture in the show notes um, of the ruined castle in Shanagari. It's such a pity because it's completely overgrown by weeds and so on. It looks like nobody's particularly interested in making the connection and I suppose kind of, um, you know, renewing the castle and actually pointing up the fact that, yes, you have this place where association with William Penn and Pennsylvania and so on. Such a pity to see, really, isn't it? 
Yeah. Maybe yeah. that's a project for somebody for some day there, Mike, in oh, the future. There's an invitation to everybody listening out there. And, uh, well, folks, that's it for a religion in Ireland uh, this week. I hope you actually enjoyed, uh, I suppose, a very particular perspective on Irish history through two of the minority religions and a couple of our reader questions there as well. And, um, yeah, so I, I'm sure we'll come back to the subject of religion again in the future. Maybe not in such a pointed way, but it's always there in the background anyway. So, um, yeah, folks, well, that's it for this week. So just to say thanks very much for listening. Really appreciate you tuning in and taking the time. And it's Sloan from myself, Mike. And Sloan from Karina. And we'll uh, talk again very soon. Take care. Bye now. Well, folks, that's it for another week here from the Letter from Ireland show. We do hope you enjoyed it. And thank you so much uh, for tuning in. Really appreciate that. And uh, you can actually find the show notes, which contain the letters we referred to during the show and other links and so on at youririshheritage.com forward slash episode 105. That's youririshheritage.com forward slash episode 105. Now, next week, we're actually going to take a break for a week, being Christmas week and all. But the following Thursday, we'll be back with a brand new show. And in that show, we'll actually look at the places of Ireland, the places your ancestors came from, and very specifically, the townlands, which we get an awful lot of questions about. So we're really looking forward to that particular show and see you then. Take care for now.